What's happening everybody? I hope you're keeping very well and thanks again for tuning in. Today's episode I sat down with Matt Blaze um, aka The Enhanced Superman which is his Instagram name but not only his Instagram name it's um, his own persona. He bases his name around what he actually is, what he has done with his life and in the podcast today he speaks a lot about it. We go through a couple of topics surrounding steroid usage. We go through SARMs and Matt provides an in-depth um, conversation around SARMs and the usage around SARMs and how they should be treated in comparison to steroids. Matt has worked with um, guys that would be high up in sarm production and sales and all that stuff so matt would have tried a lot of these before um giving this information on them so um anything that he talks about he has more or less tried himself so he is a wealth of knowledge um and we talk a little bit about his journey through life and through his fitness life and then we touch on a small bits around the mental health near the end um and I top off by asking him a couple of questions at the very end and that's it but it was an absolute pleasure to sit down with Matt it goes on for two hours long um, so take your time there is a little split in the middle where we split it from after an hour the platform I'm using at the moment only allows an hour of content so I had to split it into two but sit back, enjoy Especially if you have an interest in fitness and um, if even if you don't, if you have an interest in learning about SARMs and steroids and steroid usage and bodybuilding, take it all in because uh, Matt provides a wealth of knowledge as I just said and the conversation was really enjoyable. So Matt, thanks again. I really appreciate it and guys, enjoy the podcast. Thank you. What's happening everybody? Welcome back to uh, the show. Um, today's podcast I have sitting with me uh, Matt Blaze or the Enhanced Superman as a lot of people will know. Um, Matt is a physique coach, personal trainer and he is very, very educated around supplements, steroid use, um, coaching and personal training um, in general. So um, today's podcast should be very interesting, should be very knowledgeable. So Matt, how are you? Pretty good, brother. How are you? Grand, not a bother. Yeah, bad, but all good um, considering the weather, I suppose. You know, you can only uh, get so much done to keep you motivated and activated in well, that weather. We were a little bit blessed last week with all the sun. I think so everybody like, got a blowout last week. Or, yeah. We're in Ireland. Like, yeah. We have to remember what the weather will be. That's very true. In and out, I think I heard a, a quote the other day. It was said, uh, "There's no such thing as bad weather. It's just bad clothing." Fact. Yeah, just going out and if you have the right clothing, you can do anything. But um, 
Anyways, my who is Matt Blaze? That's a deep old question. It's gonna get deep. Where, where will I start? I suppose who is Matt? So where did where did what did Matt start off um, as? So childhood. Um, your interest in sports in childhood. Your interest in did you have an interest in in weightlifting, bodybuilding as a child? Well, so my. I suppose my journey into sports started fairly early with swimming. Mm. Um, in my family, it's a thing that my mom's parents couldn't swim. So they made my mother, my two uncles and my auntie, when they were the young as possible, jump straight in, do swimming lessons so that they would have the skill my grandparents didn't. So me being the first grandchild of the whole family, they applied the exact same thing to me. So straight into Cormorans, up in Donamade. Trinity Sports and Leisure, learned to swim, then on the swim team. So it was my first actual sport was that. They tried me into soccer briefly before that, and uh, I was told it was too aggressive. <laughs> so they told me to, to do a different sport, basically, at four years of age, uh, which actually happened in the Netherlands. That's, that's a whole deep other story. Well, it's, it's a quick story. Right. My, my father worked for Apple. Right. We briefly worked for him down in Cork. They liked what he was doing offered him a job in the Netherlands. So moved us over there. When I moved back from there, like five or six was when I started the, the swimming. Um, swimming was probably four or five days a week. First thing in the morning in the pool. Most times it was evening lessons then as well. For most of the childhood. Right. Um, and do you think that... Um I suppose swimming at that young age may have given you a little bit of boosting confidence or do you feel that it was just a case you were almost just throwing in the deep end just to try something as a, as a child? No, because the way the lessons ran, um, I got quite confident at it pretty, pretty early. So like, uh, we'll, we'll get into what we talk about sea swimming, but uh, I swam competitively, not like loads of competitions, but on the team for close enough to 10 years and at a certain point like that was just easy I'll drop in the water I'll swim not a bother when I started kickboxing and getting into school I had limited time and it was a choice of do I want to get up at four o'clock in the morning and swim or do I want to sleep until a normal time go to school and do kickboxing three nights a week I think every child's going to pick the sleep like, over I'm, anything I'm else I'm picking sleep <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that well, led you into the kickboxing then yeah, but when that happened, I, in my head, was like, I'm finished with swimming. Swimming is no longer a thing. So I went absolutely years with no swimming. That's crazy. Just switching straight off from the love of swimming at such a young age completely. to completely just switching it off and going, boom, but not anymore. No, nothing but kickboxing and just enjoying life. But I suppose that was, it could have just been a, a main focus. You know, you, you, were, you were so focused and committed on swimming this new sport came into your life and you just went well okay do you know what I like this I'm going to focus a lot more on this but in order for me to do that and I think that even equates into now day to day life you know in order for me to be the best I can be at this I need to push the other sport away you know yeah so. 100% I mean I'm not, you're not sure the exact quote but you know they say you got to kind of obsess over something to be the best at it yeah so when you divert your focus you can't really 
100% give all your energy to whatever you want to be the best at. Mm, very true. But um, yeah, I suppose with, with kickboxing, that was a something that started just as something fun and different that was quite close to the house. It was in a local gym down the road. And uh, global kickboxing, I think they're still knocking about in some regard. So you'd be shouting them out. Nice. J- Jimmy Upton. Um, a quite a high level Irish boxer and karate dude he, he he's a serious record behind him he started it just with kids classes right and um, not to say it was any absolutely fantastic kickboxer it was pretty good but at a certain point they thought that uh, it wasn't really appropriate for the kids class okay. even though it was still he was 11 or 12 when they asked me to move into the adults class mainly from the perspective most of the other kids were say 10 years old and not very committed and they wanted me going to competitions and progressing up through grades super so you knuckle so, down and, and reap the rewards at a young age more or less yeah which was uh, quite quite good because it meant when I did have competition I was used to fighting fully grown men in training whereas I was fighting people my height weight and age when it came to little contests mm. so I never really I, did, I never lost. I didn't have any big fights, but I, I'm lucky to say I came away from kickboxing with a undefeated record. Savage. It's not which easy. Which was nice. It's not easy. And with, with the kickboxing in comparison to the swimming, do you, do you feel that there was a, a sense of being able to rid yourself of, I suppose, frustration at certain times at, at, at maybe a younger age, you know, so you were getting into a martial art where you had that um, surroundings that you could just go in and almost rid yourself of frustration I suppose oh 100% um, like being able to allow a child to get their energy out into something constructive I suppose it probably kept me out of a bit of trouble that I might have gotten into at that kind of age yeah because we, we all know anybody that's from swords if you're left your own devices you get into trouble yeah it was a built up area the things were starting to grow yeah. and, and um, I suppose some areas as well there was not much there I know I can say there wasn't much for us growing up um, as kids unless you were put into something like uh, kickboxing or some sort of sport um, myself personally I was in and out of sports um, I was doing karate or taekwondo at one stage up in um, the airport and again just fell out of it just wasn't for me and then I was playing football fell out of it playing golf, fell out of it and then I went fuck this and went down a different path and that's just where it got a little bit messy so we can resonate with that 100 percent you know because it's um it's not it's it's not a good lifestyle to be in but once you have that distraction um and you're committed to it i can see it with my little brother for example you know he did uh karate for years um and now he's 19 years of age still very much committed to doing mma now it's been open kf you know so he stayed out of trouble from literally focusing knuckling down and just sticking with it you know so uh, i can see from both sides yeah no i definitely think in the in the future if i'm blessed with any little people mm. they will be not forced into any sport but encouraged to find a sport they uh, they'll enjoy to, to give them that discipline and something to keep them out of trouble deadly so kickboxing is where your your i suppose journey started in fitness would i say yeah yeah definitely the first time where I had to um, do push-ups, do certain amount of running, do X, Y, Z in order to pass a grade and regularly have my ass whooped by a, a coach. 
because like swimming there was there was drills there was coaches pushing you but the age I was at we weren't yet to say outside of the pool fitness work and in comparison to the size that you are now you know uh, anybody that doesn't know Matt Matt is um, quite a big lad um, he's a physique uh, coach and he also um, has done some shows in physique as well so uh, oh, de- definitely not in physique physique yeah. is, a, is a bad word to a bodybuilder a bodybuilder sorry <laughs> sorry physique is uh, like the I, I I get the, the, legs dan- out. the dancing and getting the legs out and showing them all off but um, Matt is a bodybuilder yeah um, well cur- currently no bodybuilding going on with the the way the world is but I'm still a, still a bodybuilder at her yeah that's that's where that's where your focus would be I suppose at the, at the minute in yeah. comparison to, to kickboxing so when you're kickboxing what sort of physique were you at, at that time um, well I mean up until I was 16 I wasn't weighing any more than 50 kilo fast metabolism like as well from the swimming both of them had such high activity I burned tremendous amount of calories I was fed a lot of food when I was a kid but I just never never went anywhere um, so until I actually clicked what to do with food and started weight training I was a whip and now you're now, now I'm uh, now, now I'm not going to call myself small yeah <laughs> what um, what was the tra- when did you finish kickboxing um, well see when I was about 16 15 around that time I was starting to get a little bit bored with the rigidity of kickboxing because it's mm. all just stand up and I think around that time that notorious film Never Back Down came out introducing the world to MMA yeah and I was like right need to give this a bash savage so I did a little bit of MMA um, probably from fourth year in school up until uh, probably near Christmas in sixth year because um, the only place like right now people are blessed there's like KF there's obviously SPG all over the place oh, there's, there's so many the growth clubs. of it has been phenomenal in the last number of years yeah. I think mainly down to um, Conor McGregor's success I suppose oh, um, yeah. once that took off and blew up I think uh, a lot of young lads and, and young girls started just taking off and, and you've seen mixed martial arts gyms popping up then left right and centre you know? yeah like they're, they're everywhere now which is brilliant because it gives an outlet and there's a structure in how somebody starts it when I saw that movie and like I'll completely admit I was seeing a movie and going I want to do that um, instantly I went online and tried to find somewhere there was only really one club close enough to me which was in Drumcondra called Kokoro there was um, an absolute savage of a human being called Shane Thomas who's Welsh he had I think about 20 25 years experience in martial arts and he had this club and I remember my stepdad bringing me for a trial to go and try and find the place and it was the same situation as kickboxing I was the youngest person there and I remember when I rocked up it was at the back of an industrial estate it was like a, a shutter to an absolute shithole of a building <laughs> and I'm looking through going is this where I'm going to be look in entire floor of like grappling mats put down they had weights at the back they had bags hanging and I went in and I absolutely loved it yeah, I think I think the perception of a gym in some people's eyes as well can just be uh, can take away from the fact that the 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 work and the professionalism that goes into it. You know, you can rock up to these gyms as you said that it's just like a shutter down the back alley or somewhere, and the the training, the quality of training that you'll get could be tenfold in comparison to some gym that literally just looks top of the range, top yeah. class. Um, but 
I think sometimes those type of gyms can almost be there just to attract the, oh, the clientele 100%. rather than actually be knuckling down and going, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to do it. You're going to achieve all these great things, you know, and let's put the work in, you know. The other ones are just like, yeah, Grant, come join me, Jim. Um, it's 60, 70 quid a month. Um, you know, you have, can use all this equipment, yeah, and uh, look, we, we might get you um, into a competition or whatever down the line. So there's, there's the perception there, I suppose, from people's yeah, point of view. There's different levels. Yeah. But this place was a proper, I wouldn't say it was a family environment, but it was definitely a team environment of get in and just work hard and figure shit out. I remember, though, it was the same time that I was really getting into weight training. So I had, like, still my love for fighting, but I was starting to figure out how to grow my physique, develop it, and stop feeling. Because we all... I suppose at that age when you're skinny, you want to be you want to be a man, you want to be bigger, you want to be stronger. Um, so I also had a gym membership going, and the gym was much closer to the house than the MMA gym. Right. So it wasn't really a problem for me because I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go train MMA five times a week. We'll have different stuff. We had like a jits day. We had a striking day, which was Kyukushin karate, which was very tough. Bare knuckle, full contact karate. Right. Knuckles and chains were always destroyed. Ah, oh, you'd be in a bad way. I can only imagine. But it was it was tremendous. Then you've got like your MMA sessions where we're in doing technique work and fitness work. But then I was also five days a week going in and doing whatever body part I thought I should do that day in the gym before the knowledge came in. Um, so when I tick into sixth year, obviously you're meant to be getting ready for your leaving surf. Yeah. Uh, something people listening to this might not know about me. I used to be completely focused on music. So everything up until probably March just before the Lehman Surf was focused on getting into college for music. Right. Um, so me going to a gym, my mother wasn't really going, I see how this makes sense. She was like, you're wasting your time in the gym. You need to be studying so you pass your exams. There was always the like, you know, Parents around leaving surf. Yeah, strict. big time. Um, we only had a conversation with somebody the other day regarding this, um, where you know the the their generation, um, I suppose, is all built up around. You have to do this in order to do this. You know, you have to go to college in order to achieve this. You have to, you know. And I think when when we came around to making our own decisions for our own generation, we actually sort of realised actually, you know, you don't have to go down yeah. that route you know there There's is so other many routes different ways to go yeah so I think in the next generation I suppose things might be totally different you know yeah. especially with the online world now and the way it's going you can have you can a full time job and, and learn beyond three courses now you know so, look at yourself as the example you yeah. went and got qualified as a coach while still working a full time yeah, job working full time job I managed to get a degree as well while working a full time job so it's um it's already creeping in yeah yeah definitely um, but I, I remember through that kind of final year in school going through like a journey of deciding was music really for me because I, I remember really distinctly there was a music teacher in the school who everyone kind of said was a bit crazy because she was she'd come out with mad outbursts that were nothing to do with a lesson plan and very strange combination she was biology religion and music right <laughs> Okay. Usually things that all don't all intersect necessarily. Yeah, that's uh, bio- <laughs> biology, religion, and music. But she once said to me, and this is somebody who's like operatically trained in singing and has done music school. 
don't go to music school. You're going to lose your love for music and it's, it's going to disappear from you. And it was resonating in my head all through sixth year. But I remember going to an audition to get into Dundalk. At this point, like I played in front of a few thousand people a few times. I played lead guitar with my main thing. Um, I went, I sit down in front of these three people with an acoustic guitar in my hand to play a couple of songs that I could play backwards with my eyes closed. And I was shaking and sweating. Could not string a clear note together. I also had to play a bit of piano for them and sing. And it felt like there was a frog in my throat the entire time. And just that was it. Complete the, the washout. Ner- nerves got the better of you and just... Yeah. I, I remember walking out of the place. My mum had driven me down. So she's waiting in the car. I get in. She's like, how is it? I'm like, not good. And she's obviously seen me play. She's heard me practice hundreds of hours in the house so she's like no he can play he's probably just pretending and I, I knew I was sitting going that's that's not going to be my path yeah that's not going to be for you and, and that's what you said but you know um, what's for you won't pass you you know it, it's an old saying I suppose I've heard more older people say it now in comparison to younger but um, it's probably the most truest thing that you could you could hear yeah. you know because you could go and put all your time and energy into this and then like like yourself have a great passion for it, give it everything that you have, and then it comes to the, the one moment and, and you go, ooh, this isn't for me. And it was it was insane feeling that way because I'd had probably at that point nearly 10 years of my life where I'm like, yep, yeah, I'm going to do music. No idea what I'm going to do in music. Everyone presumes they're going to be a superstar. But uh, I also started to equate that year that I'm like, well, how many superstar musicians got there from studying in school and going to university and studying music there is some but there's not a lot no there's not the you, magic you ones work, come out of nowhere the ones that um, start little basement gigs and do little tr- practice every day with their friends and, and aren't afraid to go out and do that and literally just live that lifestyle don't go to college yeah. barely go to you, school you commit you, know, you just and make your music your passion and people hear it yeah and that's that's just how how it goes whereas I've I know a couple of people who've went down the line of, of music college and they they um, that didn't happen for them you know so uh, it is a case of if it's a passion you don't necessarily have to go and study that passion yeah just your, follow your it. passion doesn't even need to become your job if eventually it becomes your job it's wonderful but it can stay as your your passion yeah and I think this leads you to uh, your your new passion or your your most recent passion of um, bodybuilding yeah and well introducing the enhanced Superman yeah well how that led through like the the quick jump from that point of going oh music might not be my thing um, I was in a couple of bands and I remember skipping band practice to go to Image Gym down Swords Holy Grail of bodybuilding yeah and has now transformed into something different um, but I remember the days of like calling up one of my bandmates, being like, "Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm actually not feeling good today. I can't come to can't come to practice." And in reality, I was necking a pre workout and walking out the door to go lift down into the into, down the, into old, the depths, old gym, full of old weights, yeah, effective. The the and beautiful old weights that you you can't forget. Like uh, you, you, you trained in that gym a couple of times yourself. How it was the most intimidating experience of my life. I love this the place. Granny little one. kid walking in at 15, 16 years of age, looking around, going, "Ah, this isn't for me." 
what am I doing here? And I went down with a friend of mine who was only starting out training as well. And uh, he was a big guy and he, he played a lot of rugby um, at that time. But he just he loved training, loved lifting weights, and he loved being around the environment. And I went yeah. down and it just, I was like, no, this isn't for me. And only recently, because I did my um, my course down there, because it's, it's now Image Fitness, um, who are a course facilitator for personal trainers and fitness instructors. And I was in the building and I was just standing there and I just got this moment and I just reflected back and I was like, I remember walking in here 10, 12 years ago and I was like, what am I doing in here? But then I had that feeling of when I was standing there that day, I was like, I'm supposed to be here. Yeah. When I, when I was there at that time, that was an, that was something that was going to stay in my mind to tell me, you're actually back meant to, to come back here. This is where you're supposed to go, you know. So that's where I'm starting to look towards my career now, my career path. And so, um, yeah, image turned out to yeah. be a good thing in the end. I- image was uh, was something special for me. It taught me about bodybuilding. I saw all these mammoth human beings doing insane things. But I kind of I learned a lot from being in there that I don't think as many generations get now. The respect for the gym. Yeah. Because obviously in there, like John, owner of a one of the first people to, I suppose, inspire me to chase a career in fitness, but also to respect the place. He was protective of his gym. If people were leaving plates on the floor, if people were unnecessarily throwing weights around or getting people's way, he'd be straight in. Tell them no bullshit. He'd be like, either clean up or get the fuck out. Nowadays in a gym, if one of the trainers walks up to somebody commonly and is like listen can you just put your weights back when you're done they're like how dare you speak to me yeah, I'm I pay a membership come here you know and I, I've seen that myself where I've walked yeah. in and I've I've seen women you know going women in their 40s 50s going to sit on the um, the leg press machine and there's fucking 400 kilos, kilos sitting yeah. on the thing and you're like like just put it back you know yeah. just leave it think about the person it's not always going to be somebody your size your your build that's going like, to fucking do it you even know? if so, it is like me at my strongest I don't want to sit down at somebody else's max weight and start my set at that yeah true I want to warm up true. I want to work through the sets and I think that's actually before somebody picks me up on this I'm not saying that women can't lift or, or leg press oh, yeah, 400 women kilos women are savages we know that. <laughs> I've seen them doing it so yeah. uh, it is very very possible you know, um, it's not only men. Women are as strong, and uh, especially leg yeah. strength. Oh, 100%. Yeah, the leg ladies strength and strong is legs. powerful, powerful legs. But it is a whole thing where if there's a, like, like you described, maybe a woman in her in her 40s, 50s, maybe she's trying to get into a routine in the gym, and she sees that now as a barrier, that she's worried about, oh, when I come in, I'm going to have to try and shift all these plates. It's an unnecessary blockade. Yeah, it's an, it's, it is that sense of intimidation, you know, and I think... At the minute, the way the the gyms are going, they want to eliminate all that. You know, yeah. a gym is Which a place is, for everybody, and that's yeah. the way it should be. So somewhere where it doesn't matter if you're there to simply look after your health, going once a week, or if you want to be there fourteen times in a week to get ready for a bodybuilding show, the gym should be for all. Yeah, definitely should support all environments. But um, image obviously was very focused on bodybuilding and powerlifting. But what I do remember, just reflect on the idea of maybe an older woman in just looking after her health, there was a very nice balance in there. So I'd be in first thing in the morning, most times when I trained back in the day. There would be 
older dudes, older ladies in their like 40s, 50s, 60s that would come in and do their bit on the treadmill in the morning, do their circuit of a few machines, and they were friends with all the hardcore bodybuilders. Yeah, I actually see it was a couple a good of mix. them still now in FBT that would have been there. There's one or two that, that would have been lingering around them. Yeah, are still are still going up to uh, the FBT gym now. So because they kind of it's it's a similar, somewhat similar environment in FBT swords what we had back in Image, in this, by no means is any of the equipment old. It's definitely not, but it's like old school feels. It's yeah. tremendously well equipped, but it makes me feel at home as if I'm back in Image. Comfortable. Yeah, it, and at the same time, it's very welcoming to people who are newer. And aren't into the bodybuilding vibe. But uh, what, what happened with me being in there, I was obviously surrounded by all these bodybuilders. And obviously that meant I was going to try bodybuilding eventually. Because I got more and more into it. But I had this identity crisis that I think all bodybuilders have in the beginning. Where the first few years you're like, nah, I can't tell people I'm a bodybuilder. I, I watch bodybuilding videos, I train like one, but nah, I'm not a bodybuilder, I'm a martial artist. I'm just trying to get a bit bigger. And I remember having this moment of being like, no, I am a bodybuilder. But it was, probably wasn't until my second show that I fully was able to say that out loud. Somebody said, oh, what do you do? And I go, oh, I just lift weights. I want to be strong. But uh, my first show, I remember only prepping for it for about eight weeks out of image. And um, I had probably eight different people giving me advice. Because back then, the whole coaching culture we have now was not quite as strong. A lot of information on the internet, a lot of old school dudes in the gym to give you advice. I was 19, so the 2013 Mr. Ireland show, going to compete as a junior. And at the time, I had not used any performance enhancing drugs yet. I would just get myself ready for that first show. Pure natural. Pure natural. I think I was about 65, maybe 66 kilo. And I was Still working quite at McDonald's. Small. Yeah. Um, I had committed on, like, I'm going to go and do this. Um, I was working at McDonald's at the time. And um, I dieted on McDonald's food. Because I was also, for the first time, living out of my mother's home. Yeah. So I had rent to pay. And I was just trying to figure figure my shit out, basically. So um, you got so free food from McDonald's. Free food from Mackey's when I was working there. So, like, I'd be going and I'd cook two quarter pounder meats and I would just eat lettuce and I'd get grilled chicken. I, I would do what I thought in my head was the good show. And then days where I had carbs, because I, I knew nothing really about how to diet properly at that point. I um, I'd bring in a bag of microwavable rice, mix it up with a, a quarter pounder meat. And like, to be fair, I looked lean. I was nowhere near as big as the other people in the show. Back then, the Mr. Ireland Naba show was huge. Like the junior cast had, I think there was like 27 people in the category. Now you're lucky if you have five. That's crazy, isn't it? So it, there's been a bit of an evolution and it's dropped off completely. It, it's kind of because now we have so many more federations. So there's more avenues to go down. Yeah, you can um, sort of see, I know I follow a couple of guys now on, on Instagram and you can sort of see what way that they're going. You know, they're constantly traveling for shows rather than yeah. doing the, the shows in Ireland. You know, there's... Um, there's one I seen was flying out to Poland I think it was this week and uh, Paddy Shields he was yeah. flying out to Poland to compete now this weekend so or this week so yeah there's, there's a few good international shows and it's kind of happened because back then 
Ireland didn't really have a route into the IFBB, which is like the the premier bodybuilding professional league in the world. And um, that's where the Mr. Olympia is, that's what Arnold used to compete in. That's where people want to be. So NABA is a whole different federation. It's got its own history. It's also quite a well-known federation, but NABA is your National Amateur Bodybuilding Association. IFBB is International Federation of Bodybuilders, and it's a pro league. So like back then, we had no direct route in Ireland to get into that. So NABA was like tip top. That's where you want to be. But uh, out of 27 people, I don't know where I placed, so I placed myself dead last. Because once you're outside fifth, you don't know your placing. Yeah, and if you finish last, you can only grow and you can only yeah. get better. And, and you know, but if you win on your first show, then it's, it's all downhill. Yeah, and it becomes a challenge then because you're constantly trying to gain and gain and gain and stay on yeah. top of your performance, you know. so Which for me was, um, was a gift. Because as we discussed earlier, like kickboxing, I left that with an undefeated record. When I swam, I did quite well. I had also played around with some powerlifting, not in any official federation like IPF or any of those big ones. I'd tried to do one at one point, and I just timed things wrong. But some like local gym competitions, I could win without really any effort at the time. Bodybuilding was the first sport my entire life that I did, and I got my ass handed to me. It's like, whoa. So it humbled you? Humbled me, but made me far hungrier to want to come back and do better interesting like you're talking 2013 is the first show between then and 2015 which is the next show which was a absolute washout for me performance was I, I entered the RIBBF different federation first time going in for a weight category I in my head was like cool I, I can do pretty well at under 80 because in those two years from like 65 kilo I put on a good bit of size. There was some playing around with some PEDs during then. Um, I figured I'd do the under 80 kilo category. I'd come in at like 79.5 and be the biggest person in the category. I didn't factor in height. Right. Like I'm just a, just a hair under 5'10". So at 79.5 kilo, which was actually a struggle to get to, was the time my body wanted to be 82 kilo, no matter what I did. So you're going to tell me you were competing with guys that were six foot four and I massive? Wish, I absolutely no, no, because under eighty kilo category, right? So the max you could weigh is eighty kilo, but you could be any height. So I don't think about that until I'm backstage. So imagine you're eighty kilo, I'm five foot ten, but imagine you're five foot five. How big do you look at eighty kilo? <laughs> very true. Very true. I'm, you're going to be double I'm, the size. I'm backstage looking around, going, "Where's where's my category?" Because all I can see is these short jack dudes, and I say to one of the um, one of the helpers backstage, "Where's the under eighty kilo class?" And he, he looks at me and he goes, "Why do you have a mate in it?" I'm like, "No, I'm in it." He's like, "Oh, it's over there, dude." So I stand in this line with jacked midgets. I'm like, "You absolute <laughs> bastards!" <laughs> um, I absolutely bottled it when because when I saw everybody, all confidence disappeared, and I remember. Trying to make weight for that, I ended up very flat because I was still kind of figuring out what works for peaking for a bodybuilding show. Um, so I was just under the weight cap, but I also hadn't carved up enough. I hadn't gotten enough hydration in. My whole peak week was basically a shit show. I didn't know what I was doing. So I placed dead last again. Made me hungry to come back and, and do better. 
Um, so following on from that, I had I didn't compete for another two years. Right. But again, I made things a little bit difficult for myself because in that period I actually went vegan. Ah, oh, here we go. I here had this go. this interesting oh. period in time. Now, I've nothing against vegans, but uh, <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll discuss how bad that was. <laughs> it, uh, it it's a lifestyle that you have to be, I suppose, severely committed to. Um, and I say lifestyle because it's not only a diet. Um, yeah. Veganism well, that, is. That, uh, that's something some vegans told me very clearly. <laughs> yeah, it's not only a diet. Veganism is a belief, I suppose. It's almost like a somewhat of a religion. Um, you know, you can't just eat plant-based foods. You also have to live a plant-based lifestyle and and yeah. be cautious of what you wear and um, what, what products what product you buy, your hair, what products you use in your hair. Yeah. So um, <laughs> when you go down the vegan route, it was it was this. interesting. I decided just to do it for a month initially because I had um, I had a client that was vegan and she wanted to put on some muscle and she wanted to potentially do a bikini show at some point and I was open-minded to test because I hadn't had vegan clients yet from a diet point of view so I was open-minded to kind of using her a bit as a guinea pig I'm sure she didn't like that phrase because testing animals but uh <laughs> kind of testing out what would work diet was but I was kind of I was resistant to her being able to compete as a vegan because in my mind it's not just about protein intake it's about the quality of the protein because like when I did decide to try vegan I had no problem getting 300 grams of protein a day yeah but you're not getting the same amino acid composition as you are when you eat animal products but she eventually was like here you're saying I can't do this you've never tried it so how do you know and I'm like right fair fair points I'll try it for a month and at the time so we'll, we dis- we'll discuss the PED bits in, further in the podcast but I had already tried a few different things in the space of anabolics and performance enhancing drugs yeah. so I was already enhanced so my experience of vegan in terms of how I performed and how I looked would be very different to somebody that was natural that tried it because I had the added benefit of improved protein synthesis so whatever I was getting I was retaining more muscle than someone that wasn't enhanced but basically the first month I felt better than I did when I was eating animal products more energy more energy better recovery and also at the time I was still on a cycle of drugs so I was continuing to put on some muscle and improve some numbers in the gym. Yeah. After about probably three, four months of being vegan, that started to slide a little bit. It was more difficult to progress my lifts. It was a little bit more difficult to kind of retain the fullness to my look as a bodybuilder because I decided to prep for some shows because after the month and I felt good, I basically went, ah, I'm just going to stay vegan. I'll, I'll see how long I can go. At the time, I can't remember. I think my Instagram name might have been just Matt Blaze PT or something. But when I went vegan, I'm like, well, I, I need to put something on my Instagram about it. Because if you're not putting it in your Instagram, it's not a thing. There's still people doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no. Again, there's a, I know, there's, is it James Smith had a podcast I listened to recently and he was like, I just don't fucking understand why people put plant-based, you know, yeah. Okay. It doesn't matter what you eat, you know. But just don't be highlighting it to the world. But you know, 
everybody has their own preference and yeah look you want to try and uh, shout out what you're doing and whatever so i come up with the name and i'm like the vegan superman so i'm like cool that's gonna be my name and when i did that and i started posting about what i was doing i actually got a, a reasonable following like it was a couple of thousand people on the gram who were liking my stuff they were commenting they were interacting it was great and i'm prepping for this show uh, well two shows actually i did the pca belfast show and the pca body power so you know the big uh, fitness expo in birmingham yeah it's got like a couple of hundred thousand people at it sometimes over the whole weekend and i was going to do what's called the classic bodybuilding category which is where you've got a cut off for your weight based off your height so everybody you compete with is you're not all going to be the same size but you're going to be relative proportion because you won't have like I had at the other show. <laughs> you won't be in there with little yeah. five or two guys. Who are the same weight as me making me look like a beanpole. <laughs> I had to get to 80 kilo though. Which was a lot easier vegan. Because I found my weight was dropping a little bit more. But um, I prepped for the show. I really wasn't feeling good from an energy point of view. And I'm quite meticulous with going and getting blood work. So I was able to see what was going wrong through prep even though i was controlling my chemistry with drugs my estrogen levels were way too high for a man okay and um, because i was consuming a lot of tofu and soy products they have phytoestrogens in them which is not the exact same thing as your natural estrogen but it can cause a certain a certain series of things to happen in your body to elevate your estrogen levels or to potentially in my mind and I don't know study wise because I've not seen enough on it cause more aromatization of testosterone into estrogen okay. than would other, otherwise happen and do you reckon this is something that not many people would know about or um, it's some people hear about it they think it's a myth they think oh no like men can eat soy and it's going to be fine if you raise your estrogen by eating phytoestrogens it's a problem for a man it's also a big problem for women I've, I've heard some crazy stuff where there's actually diets some women follow specifically taking in more soy to boost estrogen to make their boobs grow because when you've got more estrogen yeah it tends to grow, grow yeah. it's, it's one of the secondary sexual characteristics of estrogen problem with that is if your estrogen is higher you're more susceptible to cancer now I'm lucky I didn't get anything like that, but it's a concern. As soon as I see estrogen too high, as a man in, a fe- in in both female and male, or yeah, once your estrogen is too high, you're at a higher risk. If it's too low, you're also at a higher risk. You want your hormones to be balanced. Yeah, and there's there is studies out there that people can follow and, and yeah. have a look at and see just yeah, to back yeah. it up. Yeah. It's it's a generally as as far as I'm aware, people can check me on it. They can go and look at studies. If <laughs> you called out loud as, later, as on. far as I'm aware, <laughs> your estrogen is up. You're a higher risk. Now, the other big red flag for me in terms of how I was feeling as a vegan was my fasted blood glucose was through the fucking roof. So I didn't know enough about where the level should be at the time, interpreting my blood work. Following all this, we'll, we'll jump into my enhanced athlete time where yeah. I learned a lot more about it. But um, in order for me to hit the calorie numbers I needed and get my protein in as a vegan, I had to eat a lot more carbs than I would have if I was eating animal products so as a result your sugars sugars were much roof. higher so my my pancreas was working overtime to produce more insulin to deal with all of that my insulin sensitivity dropped so I was sitting 
pretty much about 5% over what they'd consider a diabetic diagnosis if a doctor was to take your bloods twice. And this is this is when you switch from... from Th- this is me probably nine months into being vegan. Whoa. Um, so I was kind of looking at that going, right, I'll finish out this season of bodybuilding as a vegan because I've committed to do these shows because it was between... I'd say it was probably about four weeks out from the first show because they were, they were one week apart. So I'm like, right, I'll just go coast through and I'll do this and then I'll make a choice after the show. And I made the decision to go back to animal products because I'm like, right, I need to address this. I don't think that I can sustainably still perform in sports because of the dietary requirements and still maintain my health. When it comes to eating a, a vegan or a plant-based diet or any diet, I believe your genetic heritage dictates how you can respond to it. Okay. Um, I'm 100% sure because I've seen Ancestry.com and we know family history. Yeah. 95% of my family stems from Ireland. So Irish old school diet. We ate what grows in Ireland. Yeah, potatoes and meat. Potatoes and meat. Pretty much what we're at. The odd few berries, bit of game, that type of thing. Whatever was naturally occurring on the island. Nobody back then was plant-based. So for me to eat a pure plant-based diet where I was eating a lot of foreign beans, like we didn't have kidney beans and all these things that come from like hotter climates. We didn't have them growing back in the day. We definitely didn't have rice, 100%. Yeah, that doesn't grow Uh, Well, I think there might be some kind of wild Irish rice. Might might be wrong on that. But for like a a short grain white rice that comes from Asia, we we didn't have that. Mm. So in my opinion, my genetics don't allow me to perform very well with that diet. So in general, I actually try to keep my food choices when I'm being health conscious as close to what my ancestors would eat as possible. Interesting. That's very um, something I've never heard before. You know, so I've, I've I know plenty of people who go and trace through genetics and trace through their um, their ancestors and follow the path, but I've never heard somebody say that they they eat what their what their ancestor would have considered to eat. It's a, it's actually an idea I got out of um, out of Eddie Hall. He I think when he was prepping for the world's strongest man that he won, um, I was at a body power event where he was speaking. He was with a company that was working with him that do genetic testing on athletes. And then they give you supplement and diet advice based off of your genetic heritage and what your blood markers are. So the example they gave with him was vitamin C intake. He comes from a line of people that apparently were quite close to an orange grove. So they had an abundance of vitamin C. And I think the way they explained it was because his ancestors had so much, his body finds it very difficult to store vitamin C. Because they had an abundance of it, whatever way their genetic makeup changed, they were like, oh, we've got loads, we don't need to store it. It's like the the, the method or the behind the gingers and the vitamin D um, type of thing where, where, exactly. where if you have the ginger gene... Um, it's your, very your difficult to vitamin store vitamin D, D stores because you've already have a certain amount in your body, or you know. So it's uh, that's yeah. very interesting. It's, it's along the same line of thought. So their their method of helping him was because he can't store it very well. He needs to eat more vitamin C, so he needs more high vitamin C food. So when I heard that talk, I was then thinking in my head, going right. I'm not in a, in a financial position to hire this company because they're like 
couple of grand a year at the time. But if I at least look back at my heritage and see where my family's from, I can make a reasonable decision as to what I should be eating. But from my point of view, from a genetic standpoint, I can't efficiently work as a plant-based athlete. I think I could be plant-based or mainly plant-based as I get older and performance isn't as much of a, a priority for me. Yeah. But when I decided to stop being vegan, obviously with the Instagram life, you got to do a post. Yeah. I remember going, right, I'm going to need to change my name. So I'm like, right, what am I going to pick? The Body Power show that was the last show I did as vegan was when I first met the Enhanced Athlete crew, which for people that don't know, Enhanced Athlete used to sell SARMs, research chemicals and peptides, which are like, they're, they're all performance enhancing drugs, but they're classed as research chemicals because they are not prescription medication. They're in a gray area where they have a lot of research as to what they do with people, but they are not FDA approved as supplements or as drugs. They were selling these and they had very informative videos on YouTube. I think at one point their channel had nearly a million subs. It got taken down because of censorship online. YouTube doesn't see it as advertiser friendly for a big jack dude to do his injections on camera and we like this is how we do stuff, which is reasonable. Yeah, you're not allowed to walk across the road on YouTube anymore yeah. without it being advertiser friendly. So uh, basically what they were doing, it was I found it a very useful channel and I was watching it being like, geez, these are the only guys that are talking honestly about everything. They would show exactly what drugs they were gonna take, why they were taking it, they get blood work before and after. They also had like different series. So I remember they started a series with a, I'm not 100% sure his background. He has a PhD, I believe in biochemistry. This dude in California called Carrie Nosler. He's a, a dude in his late 80s who has, like he's, he's natural, but he has the testosterone, by natural I mean he's not taking testosterone replacement therapy. He had the same testosterone levels as a man in his 20s based off his supplement regime, his food, and his lifestyle. So his whole focus was on health advice around supplementation and really got me into watching their videos. I'm like, I'd love to meet these dudes. And then Body Power is where you get like all the fitness celebrities, so to speak, show up. So like you had Dana Lynn Bailey was there, there was Steve Cook, all the guys from Gymshark, and this is 2017 for reference. So they had a lot of professional bodybuilders there. Um, Rich Piana, I'm sure people know. Yeah. He, he was there. He had the biggest queue in the building. Yeah, I'd well believe it. He's, I, he was a big, big guy. And oh, huge. Very open personality. about his use of, uh, of steroids and, Him too. and enhanced drugs. Yeah. And his queue was huge. And I do regret not queuing up to meet him because he then passed away the year yeah. after. Um, but at that event, I'm walking around and... I've already competed and I'm bollocks tired and I see I'm like oh, there's an enhanced athlete there's the dudes so I go up and they're just chilling eating some chicken burgers and there's a few people standing around talking to them so I wait and I start talking to Tony Huge who's the the owner of the, the whole operation and then this other dude coach Trevor who is a wealth of knowledge and one of the friendliest people I've ever met in the fitness industry um, just got chatting to them they were like so what are you doing did a couple of videos with them for the channel which has obviously now been far since taken down 
Yeah, gone. Fitness Way gone. Never to be seen again. Never to be seen again. They're still, he's still on Instagram a bit doing yeah. some content. He has a he has a um, another one there, and it, the the enhanced athlete page is still yeah. still ticking over. Enhanced athlete and... page is still going. He still has his page, and now the company is more mainstream supplements, so like protein, and they've got some other hormone based products, but not drugs, just herbs and supplements to help yeah. you optimize your hormones it's dr tony huge on instagram isn't it yeah and guys for anybody who uh who doesn't know who dr tony huge is if you're interested in uh i suppose no bullshit answers and just straight up honesty this guy he, he's is, a dude yeah. he is he is honest to a fault yeah about he's, everything he's very very intelligent very around the legal side of things as well so he's yeah because that, that's actually the thing with him he he's gotten some shit in the past for the name Dr. Tony Hughes because they're like you're not a doctor and he's like no I'm not a medical doctor but he is a doctor of law he was a very high end lawyer with his own firm he sold all of that to fuel this lifestyle that he wanted to move into but uh, when I met those guys very instantly we clicked and they were like well we're going to be training there was a gym in Birmingham at the event that was open 24 hours for the entirety of Body Power so like I'll be training there at like 11 o'clock tonight if you want to come hang out so I'm like yeah 100% so I go stuff some food on my face have a nap because I was wrecked after competing on stage which if anyone's wondering I competed as a vegan I did not even place (laughs) (laughs) that show had about 50 people in the category because body power is a huge international event yeah Um, so I went and I trained I hung out with them I got to know um the owner of the European distribution company, dude called Sean, that um, ended up being a very close friend of mine because Tony says, hey, Sean, this dude is vegan. He's about to stop being vegan. He's interested in SARMs. He's interested in the stuff. You're going to bring him onto the team. So I went on as a sponsored athlete, um, which was very interesting, which meant I went from, because so I'd never had a sponsor before. You got free drugs. Free legal drugs. Free, free legal drugs, which was a uh, tremendous. Um, now, so they had supplements as well, and they had some cool clothing. Yeah, but uh, essentially, I had like a certain monetary value every month that I could just say, "I want this, this, and this sent over to me." And all they asked was that I do a couple of posts. There was no big pressure, and that if I could get to any events with them, that I go along. And around this whole time. There was some changes in legislation in the UK, which is where the European company was based. There's a there's a fat loss supplement, I suppose you would call it, called Uhimbine, that for a long time in the UK was just classified as a supplement. It was fine to use. They changed that, re-making it a pharmaceutical product in that you don't have to get a prescription, but you need to be a pharmacy to sell it. Yeah. So it gave the MHRA, the Medical Association in the UK, a reason to look into EA. And they found some other stuff because they they did some wild things. There's a compound called DNP, um, which if anybody's heard of, is quite a dangerous compound used for fat loss. It's not actually made for fat loss. It's it's an uncoupling agent that they use in explosives. Oh, brilliant. Which they experimented with, so I take believe, that and it's going to blow your fat off you. Pretty much, because like <laughs> it, from a from a chemistry point of view, it literally causes fat cells to break down through heat. So it heats your body up and literally burns. It's like body a thermogen, body. almost. But. It's it's a very extreme thermogenic, but they were selling that 
but they had a very interesting way of getting around things. They had, because you can't as a supplement company sell something like that, but we had a thing called Fertilizer Warehouse, because you can sell it as fertilizer, because it, it is technically something it, that can be used as fertilizer. Yeah. So they had a site that had wheelbarrows, watering cans, bags of soil. And fat burner. And fat burner. <laughs> <laughs> so you can go and do your garden, yeah, take some like, fat burner. This is for your gardening. Yeah, get a um, workout while you're, while and, you're doing your garden. And it was the same with all of the research chemicals. So they can be sold, but they can't be sold as dietary supplements. So it was like, yeah, this is for your research purposes. And on the forums, people would be like, oh yeah, I've been testing this out on my rat. My rat's put on five pounds in the last six months. So it was a whole funny time, but um, because of the raids, because they, they ended up having to raid the warehouse to be like, yeah. we need to get samples of everything. And until we've tested everything, we need to shut you down. So the company kind of went into a bad spot in the UK. And that all happened during the Mr. Olympia competition, which is where the whole company was in Vegas at a big event. Um, at the time, the UK company had a good few sponsored athletes that were very much not understanding of the situation. People that were like, where's my free shit that I'm meant to get every month? Why can't I order stuff? Why can't my clients buy stuff? Not kind of going, the owners might be a bit stressed. And these are about to jump on stage and compete? No, no, they were just at the event because they had a big booth and they were okay. interacting. But it's like a, the Mr. Olympia Expo is a, it's, it's pretty much the biggest space you can get into once a year if you sell supplements. Right. So a huge opportunity because um, you've got thousands of people walking through the door, if not hundreds of thousands for the expo. So a big opportunity to sell, interact and market. I just sent a message, not thinking anything of it. I didn't know people were barraging him with messages going, where's my stuff? Um, I said, listen, I'm after seeing what's happening. Hope everything's all right. Give me a shout when you get back because that's a normal human thing to do. He then... This is not Tony. This is another guy, Sean, that was owning the UK company. Messaged me out of the blue and is like, could you jump on a Skype call with me? I'm like, yeah, no worries. Thanks me for being the only person that wasn't being an asshole. And pretty much explains the company is going to close in the UK because there's too much pressure from medical board. He wants to go and set up somewhere else in Europe. And he wants to hire me. So not just as an athlete, he knows my background because I had a bit of a background in sales for a while. Yeah. Um, at the time, I was working as a personal trainer in a gym in Sutton and I was working for a call center as well. So I, I was busy. I was working a couple of jobs just to make enough money. And um, I was really wanting to travel and start living more of an actual bodybuilding lifestyle. So I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So he takes me on a couple of trips with the company. We went to to Malta we went to see if that would be a good spot to set it up we um, we went to Bulgaria which is where we ended up setting up and I actually spent a year living in Bulgaria as the distribution manager for the site so I was very involved with the company we had like chemists and pharmacists and a few other people working with us to obviously make the products so I learned a lot from those guys about how to read blood work also to an extent how to make the things because when you, you know yourself because you've managed people before you've managed sites yeah whenever you're going to manage any kind of company you want to understand on some level all aspects of it so that how you it can, works inside outside yeah so i wanted to know as much as i could so if i needed to hire somebody else i can explain to them what i want to happen 
So lucky enough, those people taught me tremendous amount about how all of the different compounds worked. So everything, like just so people know if they're wondering what a SARM is, SARM stands for Selective Androgen Receptor Modulator. That probably sounds like Chinese to a lot of people. When you take a steroid like testosterone, that is replacing your natural testosterone production with an exogenous hormone. Exogenous just means from outside your body. Testosterone affects so many different things in your body. It's not just a drug that affects your muscle. Testosterone can affect your lipid profile, which is your cholesterol numbers. It can affect bone density. It can affect your hair. It can affect your heart, affect your sex drive. It affects so many different things. To very easily explain what a SARM is, if somebody say, uh, the best example is a woman, maybe, who's had really horrible burns and she needs to be treated in hospital. When you get badly burned, one of the things that they used to do in the medical industry was give you steroids as part of your recovery to accelerate your skin's healing. There's a steroid called decadurobilin, nandrolone, People associate that with being a big watery mess and your Mickey not working right. and getting you really strong. That is really, really good at helping burns heal on skin for some reason. If you've got a woman that's after being badly burned, maybe in the face, traditionally they probably would have given her something like that back in the day to help her heal. Problem is, if a woman takes an anabolic steroid, she's going to get secondary male characteristics. Jaw might change shape a little bit, yeah. voice will get deeper getting her hair in places she doesn't want the last thing a woman that's after being burned in the face wants is to have other changes to her appearance someone in the pharmaceutical industry is like now nah, we should be able to isolate this and find a way to just cause extra healing in the places we need it so the SARM is a selective receptor modulator so in theory to only affect one tissue the SARMs that enhance athletes sold for the most part were SARMs that were directed towards muscle tissue. So increasing muscle protein synthesis, giving you the same effect as a steroid without, in theory, shutting down your natural testosterone production or affecting other health systems. So would you get the same negative effects as, as steroids, as the, I suppose you were using a course of SARMs for a period of whatever it was, six to eight weeks, and then you were using a course of steroids for um, a similar steroid for six to eight weeks. You come off them, would you get the same withdrawal effects from the SARM that you would from the um, steroid? Well, the, the term withdrawal, I would probably change a little bit. Okay. I would more say, if you take testosterone injectable for eight weeks, probably by the fifth day of you starting it depending on the ester you've chosen because testosterone can have different release times your natural so you, your natural production of testosterone will start to reduce or completely switch off while you're using injectable testosterone comparing that with using a serum the more common one that people would use is osterine thing called mk2866 the, uh, the fancy chemical name um, if you use that, that's specific for muscle tissue and it generally doesn't affect your testosterone production. So if we had the perfect test subjects, two twin brothers, everything is the exact same, they've eaten the same way for their whole life, they've trained the same way for their whole life, everything is as identical as it can be. If one does SARMs for eight weeks, the other does a testosterone injection for eight weeks, 
if they both stop on the last day, a month later, the one that's on SARMs 100% is going to have higher biological function than the one that was using testosterone. All right. Because it's not shut down your natural production of testosterone while you're on, depending on the SARM. If we're using Osterine as an example, unless people take an extortionate amount of it, it hasn't been shown to affect your natural levels much. A couple of percent, nothing major. So for somebody, and this is kind of, I've talked about this in the past on my old podcast myself, if somebody wanted to just do one cycle, which happens in gyms, and I don't really recommend that, if someone wants to just do one cycle, don't do any PEDs. Yeah, I've messed around myself, and it doesn't work. Yeah, a lot of people have had that experience. You lose what you get when you finish. There's no point in it. If you did want to just do one thing, SARMs realistically, if you can get the actual compound you think you're buying, which is its own problem nowadays, because most of them were coming out of China. Placebo um, effect? Not even placebo, because they'll give you something, but it might not be the SARM you think you're getting, or it might just be a steroid powder, which is going to affect you in the same way as a steroid because it's a steroid um if you can know for a hundred percent that you're getting osterine and you did eight weeks of that at 10 to 20 milligrams that's not going to impact your health it's not going to shut down your natural testosterone production in any appreciable way but it will enhance your performance in the gym from a recovery standpoint and give you the same results as say, a cycle of Anivar, which is a, a commonly used steroid, which also isn't too, it's not toxic. Like the way that people, well, not that I'm saying you should take it. Yeah, like anything in moderation or if it's abused, it's gonna yeah. cause you harm and down the line. But. And the thing with steroid use for performance enhancement, as much as obviously I'm called the enhanced Superman, I'm very much for the use in a safe parameter of performance enhancing drugs for the right people anytime you use it to enhance for sport technically speaking from a medical point of view it's all abuse yeah if you have a super physiological dose of any hormone that is abuse but there's safe abuse and then there's taking the piss which some people do and get very hurt by um but when you're trying to decide on what you might take the risk factors you want to look at are what studies are attached to different drugs what's the end result of it so say like most people are scared of needles in reality a cycle of injectable testosterone is going to be a lot safer for your body than taking a cycle of d-ball which loads of people have taken because one shot of testosterone per week for 10 weeks isn't going to have such an impact on your kidneys or really your liver whatsoever your kidneys a bit but not your liver yeah, in comparison to in comparison to three or four DVAL yeah. tablets a day if someone takes a few of those every day for six to eight weeks you might as well be having a couple of points every day for the effect it will have on your liver um really when it comes down to if somebody's deciding whether or not they're going to use performance enhancing drugs in my opinion you need to really think about it because once you start as a man taking testosterone you're pretty much on it for life unless you're really lucky some people can do a cycle stop and they get their production back to normal they're grand the reality is it's a flip of the coin you can do one shot and be completely shut down for the rest of your life 
and be dependent on a TRT shot once a week. There's also a very real reality that even one cycle can make you infertile. You could do one little cycle of D-ball and you might be the unlucky person who has their ability to reproduce gone. So the risk factors are adding up here against steroids in comparison to SARMs. Is yeah. that to say if somebody came to you and they were looking to enhance their performance, would you lead them down? Not essentially lead them, but would you recommend I would, I would advise steroids towards, or SARMs? I, I would advise towards SARMs if somebody's absolutely dead set on taking something, which in now today's world where people want fast results, yeah, it's a reality that a lot of people are like, I want to do something. I want to be like the big lads in the gym. I want to lift heavier. I would, if they can source real SARMs, because that's the important bit, um, I'd lead them down that route unless they're willing to accept the reality that they're going to take testosterone for the rest of their life. Okay. Um, and you said something there a second ago about for the right people so is it a case that okay if you're going to go down and, and go down the road of of taking SARMs and start to take SARMs they're not for everybody right? SARMs potentially could be for anybody okay um, it depends on if you've got any pre-existing health conditions like if you've got if you've got a heart issue that you know about like if you've had a previous heart attack your health isn't good you're only getting into training you really shouldn't be going near any performance enhancing drug you need to sort your health first if you've got any kind of health risk factor taking something any drug like let's take it away from performance enhancing drugs if you've got health issues and you want to go on the bag for the weekend or you want to jump on the pills yeah those are all huge risk factors if you're not healthy don't fuck with anything if somebody's perfectly healthy they've been training for five plus years they feel like they've gotten everything they can possibly get out of training if they want to just do one little cycle or something SARMs would be where I would advise because it's not going to impact your life as much as doing steroids but you need to be very clear on the fact none of these things are technically fully legal in Ireland so where you get them they have no recourse as to if they give you something fake or give you a different drug. Like it's, it's very common, or it used to be very common with women. Women think, oh yeah, I can take some Anavar, I can take some Winstrol and it's not gonna turn me into a man. Yeah, I think that's, put, is that, would that be pushed on from their, their coaches as such, or their trainers? I wouldn't call them coaches if they're guiding them down the road of it, just it throwing that into your body. Like it, it used to be a lot more prevalent. Okay. Now, because it's more knowledge, yeah. generally anybody that is coaching females with the use of anabolics is going to lean them towards arms because when we're with enhanced athletes, that is something that they tried really hard to do with their female competitors. Because like we, we, we had a team of people that coached enhanced athletes within enhanced athletes, and they had a lot of female physique competitors. And when I say physique competitors, when it comes to women in bodybuilding, you've got bikini, You've got wellness, you've got figure, you've got physique, and then you've got bodybuilding. Five categories that pretty much tear up from lowest amount of muscle to highest amount of muscle. A bikini competitor, in my opinion, should not use any performance enhancing drugs. Okay. The goal of that physique is to pretty much have a nice beach bikini body 
but a little bit leaner than the average person. And it's achievable through hard work and dedication. 100%. If yeah. you don't have the genetic compound, to or the genetic component to be able to look that certain way, you can't put the hard work in, the diet, the supplements, the sleep, the water. If you can't do all those things and achieve a bikini competitor body, I don't believe it's the right sport for you. That's just my opinion. I think women's health is a it's a more difficult thing to balance than a man's health yeah. when it comes to putting in anabolic drugs because anabolic steroids are all based off testosterone. So a man's body is easier able to handle it because we have higher natural levels. It's a lot more of a worry for a woman because she may get, as we talked about earlier, secondary male sex characteristics. Yeah. In Enhanced Athlete, we had women that were physique competitors, which is the second most muscular category in women's bodybuilding, that would have been using anabolic steroids on and off for years. They managed to transition most of them off of that and onto SARMs, and they maintained their physiques, but with less side effects. But when I say less side effects, there is always still potential side effects. Yeah, because you're still putting a, a compound into your body that shouldn't essentially be yeah. there or, or it's going to enhance something that shouldn't be, be there. 100%. So in general, I would say if anybody's listening to this and thinking that they want to start taking some drugs to improve their physique, I would usually have a conversation with somebody of a checklist of some sort to go, okay, have you been training for long? If somebody says, oh, I only started a month ago, I'm like, go away. Go, go away and actually train. There's no way you should be starting something a month in. And I know people. I know one person, an old friend of mine, won't say his name. He did his first shot of steroids the night before he went to the gym for the first time, which is a way backwards mentality. If you're thinking about taking something and you're a month into training, feck off, go start actually training. You need to have training base. You need to be eating properly. You need to have supplement regime down, water, sleep, have all those ducks in a line and get as much as you can out of your result. If you've been doing that for years and you want to enhance your physique in some way, then maybe you start looking into things. I'm not one to say that people shouldn't do something because as Craig probably knows from knowing me, one of my main beliefs in life is that any adult should have the freedom to do whatever they want with their body yep. once they don't harm another person. So if somebody wants to take something, if they can get their hands on it, go ahead, but try to educate yourself before you go down that route. Yeah, so in other words, if if you're unsure, if you're not um, 100%, get yourself a coach that is 100% yeah. um, and follow their guidance. You know, it, Don't the other, just throw them down your throat for the sake of it. The other more important thing in my mind than even a coach is get yourself a doctor that you trust that will get your blood work for you. Yeah and not judge you which is very difficult in Ireland um, like me through the years even before I took anything I would go and get my blood work done because I wanted to see where hormones were at I wanted to see where my health was at so I could adjust things based off my diet and supplement regime um, like the other thing that's very difficult as a natural athlete is maintaining testosterone levels like natural bodybuilding is really really difficult yeah. like actual on stage yeah that's something that I was actually going, meant, supposed to ask you as well because like, you know you see I suppose you see people who have done photo shoots and who are prepping for photo shoots um, and some of them have done an absolutely fantastic and amazing job I know a couple of lads who have done it naturally and are doing it currently naturally 
and are doing brilliant. Um, but there's also then people who are going to these photo shoots who are doing it naturally to a certain extent, but then also going and using enhanced drugs and not openly saying they're using them. Yeah, the old fake naughties. Yes. But plenty of them out there on the internet. Yeah, so that's a, that is, that's still a big problem. It, it's a huge issue. It's the, there's a mixture of that and then the applied Photoshop and the applied image of the people who are new to the industry see somebody like a fitness model on Instagram that appears to be huge and shredded all year round without any change. Yeah. Who's saying, oh, I'm natural. All I do is eat my meals real clean all the time. I don't miss training. I do this, I do that. When in reality, to maintain that level of conditioning all year is... It's also unhealthy, but it requires drugs. But what I would say regards somebody that wants to get photo shoot ready or bodybuilding stage ready without using any drugs, think about one baseline thing of biology. If you want to, in any species, reproduce, so make children, which is a good way to gauge where your health is at. If you're reproductively healthy, your body is probably healthy. Yeah. If you're making babies, Craig giving a fifth up, he's like, yeah, I got a kid. I'm healthy. Things are working. Oh, yeah. Um, if you're able to produce offspring, everything is working. The reason that's working is because your body knows it's got enough food. You've got a healthy amount of body fat. Everything's working fine. You can produce a healthy child. When you diet down to get natural bodybuilding show ready or natural photo shoot ready, you're trying to get your body fat down to 4 or 5%. In order to do that, you need to eat a deficit of calories for 20 to 30 weeks. So you're telling your body for over half a year, I don't have enough food. I don't have enough resources. Your body's not going to prioritize your testicles working. Your body needs to prioritize your ability to walk, your ability to breathe, your ability to process food. So from a hormonal point of view, when you get shredded as a man, and as a woman as well, because for a woman, yeah, woman she gets shredded same. cycle stops. Yeah. Because what's the point in continuing to have a period to be able to get pregnant and make a child if you do not have the required resources to fuel the development of the baby or fuel the baby when it's born? So your body, when you're starving yourself to get shredded, doesn't want to actively work to procreate. Yeah, I said that to somebody before about, um, about the fitness trainers, women fitness trainers who have six packs and who highlight these six packs and everything. And you know, I had people saying, "Oh, I, I want that." You know, I, I really, I really would want that. And I said, like, "You want that." okay that's fine yeah. that could be achievable but do you want the implications that could possibly happen that they don't speak about you know and that's not yeah. to say that there's nothing wrong with a woman um, having a six pack but genetically and throughout history women aren't essentially designed to maintain that um, figure well th there's a reason why when you look at body fat percentage levels between men and women we have a different baseline because we have a different hormone setup and a different biological need for fat, like a woman who is absolutely shredded would be about 12% body fat. Yeah. The equivalent dude would be about three. And it's not that the dude is more shredded, it's that there is a different level of body fat required for biological function in a woman. But from this perspective, 
natural photo shoots and bodybuilding shows are, I'm not going to say they're more detrimental to your health than enhanced because it's not because of so many other factors when you're enhanced but from a perspective of maybe a healthy sex life a lot of dudes that are in natural bodybuilding would attest to the fact that when they get super shredded they're not trying to chase the misses around the gaff as much so let's say the dudes that hit their midlife crisis late 30s maybe early 40s and they're like oh, I want to start getting shredded so I can chase my missus around the house. When you're at that age, regardless of what you're doing with diet, training, or if you're taking drugs or not, you're not producing testosterone at the same level you were when you were 18. If you, at 35 years of age, for the first time in your life, go into a calorie deficit, that may benefit you from a reproductive point of view for a month or two. Because it's new, you're losing body fat, your body's getting into a better position. When you get single digit body fat you're very unlikely to have the same sex drive as when you had healthy amounts of body fat because realistically we all want to be shredded yeah but healthy body fat for a man is more like 10 to 12 percent or even higher um for a woman it's 20 percent or higher depending on the person because obviously genetic factors are different in everybody yeah some people could have perfect blood work have a healthy libido a healthy appetite everything be perfect at eight percent body fat somebody else could be crashed and destroyed so that's where i roll back to the importance of blood work if you can get a good doctor that will be willing to take your blood work periodically like once a month if you had the money for something like that is ideal in my opinion if you're going to be being shredded if you're going to try performance enhancing drugs without a doubt monthly is the way to go like for example when I was with enhanced athlete in our amazing spot in Bulgaria where we did all sorts of stuff sometimes we would do experiments with SARMs and different steroids performance enhancing drug protocols to see what would happen to the body but in Bulgaria which is very different to Ireland you don't need to go to a doctor to get blood work they have clinics in every city that you walk into there's a list on the wall of different blood tests that you want different mm. different factors you need tested and you literally check off a box and say i want all of these tested let's go they take your blood a courier picks it up and within two hours you've got your result so there's no judgment no judgment well there, there may have been because it was a language barrier they may have been yeah. judging the hell out of us but we didn't care <laughs> it was mainly the speed at which we could get results yeah like i remember one day because we wanted to do some experiments on fasted blood glucose levels compared to fed blood glucose levels we went in first thing in the morning got our bloods done because we didn't want to just do that because you can get a pinprick test and do it yourself at home we wanted a full spectrum of different testing we got tested at like nine o'clock in the morning had that result by 11 a.m we tested again at four o'clock and we had a result by that one by six so we were able to see exactly what happened with the drugs and food we used that day because we were and before i say this this is not me saying anyone should do this this is not medical advice this is just some crazy people that tried job. some stuff this is technically was part of my job uh we used uh, injectable insulin same way that the diabetic would use yeah but pairing it up with our food intake um insulin is a storage hormone it's one of the most anabolic hormones in the body if you're using it in conjunction with 
something like testosterone with some growth hormone and a few other bits and pieces you can create a very anabolic situation for your body anabolic really just means building tissue yeah so when you're going to train twice a day and eat 6,000 calories to grow as much as possible that is a huge assistance in shuttling nutrients into the body yeah and i've seen um videos as well of of um tony explain talk more about the insulin um yeah about injecting it and stuff as well but again it's just because he he's trialed this he's tested it on himself before going and testing it on others or before allowing others to even go and test it yeah. you know he's, so. he's a walking experiment yeah and, and even with himself um he's no longer in california so he's not directly involved on a day-to-day basis with the lab he made but he had opened up a a blood test laboratory he paid for a bunch of people to get trained up on phlebotomy so like taking blood out to do the examinations and paid for a bunch of very smart people to come in and analyze the work and quite close to the famous gold gym in venice beach yeah they set it up pretty close to there so that high-end bodybuilders who were taking a shit heap of drugs go in here and get a full health workup to see where they're at to i suppose prevent the increase in deaths that's happening in these huge bodybuilders that's genius so almost if you're you're coming in you're getting your test if it's yeah. a case that you're taking certain steroids in your and your body is no longer starting to cope with how much you're taking here's another option you know and and yeah. we can help you out here like. and like the type of testing they were doing because like if you go to your doctor and ask for a hormone panel most doctors in ireland get a bit weird about it they're like why do you want a hormone panel you tell them you're taking steroids and like well stop where'd you get them from (laughs) yeah they have all the stupid questions you're like that's not your job your job as a doctor is to look after me i just want you to get my blood work you don't even have to read it to me just give it to me i'll get somebody to read it well for me i can read blood work at a reasonable level i'm not a doctor but i've had a doctor a surgeon a pharmacist and a few other people explain to me what i should be looking for i'll still always ask a doctor for final opinion but i can at least get my own baseline of what i think i should be at if you get your blood panel done in the common doctors they're not using the highest spectrum of testing so they're not going to catch everything so sometimes if they do a test to see maybe where your testosterone is at it's not always a reflect a reflection of the true result because there's different grades of tests that cost different amounts with the clinic they've got in california for those bodybuilders they do other types of testing problem with most steroids that a lot of steroid users take they're from underground labs yeah somebody's made it in their kitchen they've made it in their bathtub they've done whatever most of those while they try to make it clean the ingredients they get the way that they make it can mean that your stuff contains heavy metals yeah a lot of people are talking about the uh the old v word recently regards to the the c word people getting that so they can travel i'm yeah. not going to say words and get your podcast uh pinged but one of the big conversations around taking those is the fact that there's a lot of heavy metals in those that can cause a lot of issues with toxicity in the body yep the very same thing happens with people taking steroids from underground labs if you've got too many heavy metals you can be potentially causing cancers you can be causing brain fog all kinds of different problems there was one what was the most recent one that was underground was it um 
Oh, yeah, Cryogen. Cryogen, was it? They they were doing very well for a while. Yeah. But um, I believe the person that was running that lab, I don't know if they they lost availability of the same supplier they had, so they couldn't get the same quality of ingredients. It was during, away. during the first lockdown, I think, was it? It was a little bit before then when it actually happened, but I think when people noticed it was then. So the, the quality of the product changed, so they're not around as much. Um, but things like that, because it's not a straight up business, yeah, you won't always have the same access to suppliers. If you're a supplier in China, which is where most of the suppliers were, gets shut down or stops working in that field or changes whatever, you're screwed, you don't have a product anymore. Mm. And especially with SARMs, that's why I've mentioned a few times, if someone's going to take it, you have to be very sure that what you're getting is what it is. Because you're ordering this from China, from someone you're never going to meet, they're not really caring what you get at the end. Nah, it's just, come here, here you go, there's a few quid. Yeah, now it, it depends, because when I start working with Enhanced Athletes, Tony had extensively traveled China and he'd gone to facilities and he met people, not just China, like all around the world. Mm. He went to parts of South America, Russia, all these different places to find the highest quality ingredients for everything. So every peptide, every SARM, every research chemical, every supplement, it was all the highest quality. Everyone that he purchased from gave certificates of authenticity from yeah. third party testers. As the world started to get a little bit tighter and understand what's our war and certain governments start locking them down, a lot of the suppliers, because me as a distribution manager, when I was accepting deliveries into Bulgaria, and if there happens to be any lawmakers listening to this, in Bulgaria that was legal. Where we transported things to, all legal, did not break any laws, just so nobody comes knocking on my door. <laughs> um, they'd stop sending letters of authentication they stopped sending third-party testing results which is when i was starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable with selling those things because if i'm building relationships with customers because like I, I had some customers that were kind of like their own distributors so they were making really big orders so they had clients so it's building up relationships with these people i had to be honest with them because i'm not wanting to send a product that's going to harm somebody yeah I was only happy sending something that I know what it is. So when that started changing, um, we had to try and look for new suppliers. Like we had one particular person in China who was like our main sales agent. Can't remember what she told us her name was. It definitely wasn't a real name, but uh, she gave us a name that we could call her. Um, she had moved company three times while I worked there, but because she was looking after us, we'd follow her to different companies. All right. Um, so familiar faces yeah, familiar she, products she was basically you know a, she it. was a sales rep same yeah. way you're now becoming a sales rep yeah if you moved company you may be able to keep the same sales clients um, but as she changed company she was honest enough with us to go it's not the same products and I don't have the same testing so by the time I had left they were looking to try find different stuff but now enhanced athlete on a whole they just do supplements. Yeah, I've seen that there only recently. I clicked onto their website and uh, had a look, and you can see that the supplements are there. You know, there's no, yeah. like there's no SAMs. There is, there's fat burners, there's all that, all that stuff. But um, it, they're open and they're honest to say our old formula had this, 
this no yeah. longer has it you know um, they're being tested through they've, it they've changed with the times because they want to continue to exist as a company obviously because everyone wants to continue to make yeah. money as a company but they want to stay in a position to be able to educate people on the safest version of use of these drugs and to do that they still need to keep the company afloat yeah now they've managed to do something absolutely incredible in that they signed the current Mr. Olympia Big Ramy as the face sponsor athlete of the company. Interesting. So, so you, they've they've you, kind of made a bit of a jump from sponsoring little old me in 2017 yeah. to Mr. Olympia, the most important bodybuilder in the world, as their main athlete. So do you reckon they're going down a, a more um, a more su- supplemental route that they're going to focus now on on delivering well, high class supplements with and, the with the main. I suppose monetary side of the company that's going yeah. to be the main face that makes the most of their money i i don't re- i don't have any direct contact with the company anymore yeah um but from what i see from keeping up to date on what tony's up to what i gather is he's going to have that as like it's a whole different company director he has nothing to do with enhanced supplements yeah that is a different company director that runs everything he has nothing to do with the ins and outs of the company he just Gives them suggestions on marketing and he's still involved, but he's not the head honcho anymore. Yeah, it'd be brilliant to get him on one day. Oh, one day. it'd never be know. tremendous. You never know. I'll, I'll reach out and see yeah, if he can uh, do us up. Very interesting. Because um, he's doing a lot of podcasts now. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that, all right. He's living over in Thailand, avoiding the uh, the sea word. Living his life. But that was the part of the reason why I wanted to get you to come on and, and talk about SARMs and, and steroid usages because I suppose in Ireland it's you hear about steroids you hear about testosterone trimbonolone whatever it is that all the different cocktails people take yeah but you don't necessarily hear a lot about SARMs and people weren't so educated around them and I think that was because there wasn't enough information provided you know I know a couple of lads that probably would be interested in taking them that may be listening to this podcast and that was the reason why it was simply You've worked with the top guys that that did a shit ton of research. You've well, they, they pioneered the research. You've tried yourself, you know. Um, you've worked in the sales side of things. You've worked directly with the um, the guys, the manufacturers. Yeah, you which know. is a, a very interesting place to be. <laughs> yeah. So for for anybody that is listening and is interested in trying SARMs, I recommend give Matt a show. Um, he, I'm sure he'd have no problem sitting down and having a chat with you um, because again anything that he spoke about is tried, tested there's no fucking bullshit attached to it it's literally I've tried this I've done this this works this doesn't don't do it oh, without a shadow of a doubt every single SARM that they saw well every product that Enhanced Athlete sold except for DNP uh, I tried every single one because if I was going to sell anything I wanted to know that it was safe to take. I wanted to know what it felt like. So that if a customer asked me about it, I could answer honestly and say, this was my experience. You need to have your own experience if it's what you want to do. Mm. But this is my anecdotal response to this compound. Um, Some of them were tremendous. I didn't have any deleterious effects except for two particular compounds that I I would probably suggest people don't use. They're not actually commonly used in SARM world anymore. Thing called S4 and S23. So the two SARMs that have S in the name, I would avoid from a health point of view. 
S4, otherwise known as Andarine, has a very strange side effect in this. Your eye's ability to transfer from dark to light dramatically reduces. So you get light blindness. Holy shit. Which I knew about trying it. I decided to do a short course of it to see how it would work. Um, just because if someone's going to take it, I want to give actual responses to how it was. And I thought, no, there's no way it can be this bad. In Bulgaria, people probably know it's quite sunny. Yeah. I remember one day walking from my apartment, which was on like the fifth floor. I had to walk down all the stairs. The lights were actually broken in the building. No, no windows. So very low light all the way through. I get to the front door where I walk outside. Really sunny. Couldn't see. Couldn't see a damn thing. Fucking hell. So I never learned the pharmacology behind why. But S4 gave me that effect. Which, if you're going to drive anywhere, is very dangerous. Stay away from the S. S4 and rain. But the way they tout it is it's very similar to the steroid winstrel. Yeah. And it's cosmetic effects to the body. And it's strength increases. So it worked from a performance point of view. I dropped some body fat. I got stronger. I'm not sure it's worth being blind, if I'm honest. Stick with good L Winnie. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um and then it's it's sister compound S23 because they're very similar like the SARMs that have similar names they have very similar chemical structures so they've got similar effects S23 didn't affect its vision but the original purpose for S23 in clinical trials was actually to be used as a male contraceptive which doesn't exist and I I recently had a conversation with my partner about this because uh, I'd seen a video of somebody talking about a different male contraceptive. It's an interesting idea because traditionally we put that responsibility on the woman. And the female contraceptive methods are terrible for a woman's health. So I don't encourage my partner to be on those. I don't yeah. encourage any women to be on those. But um, it's an interesting concept to put that responsibility in the man's hands. And the way S23 would work from that point of view is it literally switches off FSH and LH, two hormones that are important to producing sperm. Its side effects are that you shoot get a little blanks. bit more aggressive. Well, yeah, you shoot blanks while you're on it. But it's got physical side effects in this. Because it shuts you down from the point of view of giving you an exogenous testosterone-based hormone, you get stronger, you get leaner. So... For women, they take the pill, they put on weight, they get hormonal, yeah. they have a bad time. And often their sex drive drops. The male version, your sex drive goes up, you get stronger, you get leaner, you get a little bit more aggressive, and you can't knock your missus up. If a relationship is a choice, I think I'd lean towards the me taking that one. <laughs> Mm, and ruining yeah, the missus day that's crazy that's, that's but madness but because it, of its positive effects on physique performance they um, they didn't approve it for medical use for that purpose and also it's the only SARM that I'm aware of that has deleterious effects on your liver values from my own response to it my my numbers on toxicity for my liver went through the roof when I used that Um. I essentially should have been on the piss for four weeks with the same effect that I got from this. Fucking hell. No other serum affected my liver whatsoever. So stay away from it. Yeah. So yeah. 
if anybody's if looking he, at them if it comes across if it comes across those are the only two that I would be reluctant to use um, but there's also some other interesting things not necessarily SARMs mm. one I spoke about on my YouTube channel that's not being used too much recently but um, there's a compound that's not actually a SARM so within the world of SARMs there's other things that they kind of toss in with the bunch because it's sold the same way it's called SR9009 it's a drug that was initially used to study the circadian rhythm which I'm sure your listeners are probably health conscious mm. so you know your circadian rhythm is your body going asleep and waking up the natural cycle of yeah. night to day dusk to dawn yeah this drug was designed to try and regulate the circadian rhythm in that when you take it it gets you into a wakefulness state and by the time it wears off it allows you to a little bit easier get back into sleep mode it's discovered side effects were actually positive so I'm about to talk this up as if it's the best drug in the world so I'm saying <laughs> research this before you decide that you're going to take this I initially started taking it for its cardioprotective effects in a few studies it's been shown to prevent cardiohypertrophy which is something that happens when people take steroids or if you're a very high-end strength athlete or endurance athlete your heart is a muscle like anything else yeah. when you work it hard it grows which is a problem this in several studies has shown to switch off the mechanism of action for making your heart grow hmm. so I was very interested in that because like I don't want to die early so it's taking it for that purpose it also helps with improving cardio output so when you take this you can run a little bit faster you can run a little bit further your ability to unload carbohydrates is a little bit better what recently has caused me to go back to this drug which is probably quite close to Craig's Earth is mental health mm. um, I for the past probably probably last 12 months I suppose with the way the world has gone a lot of people can relate have experienced a lot of anxiety which I'd never experienced in my life I've been in position where I was cripplingly unable to do basic work tasks for no real reason haven't been able to get a full handle on it I've done a lot of like sea swims which actually my first sea swim was with the man I'm talking to now yeah so this is this is coming from a man who started very young swimming full of confidence kickboxing full of confidence um, down in mixing in MMA again confident walking yeah. into a, a gym full of big juiced up bodybuilders beasts going full, uncomfortable here full of confidence and comfort going on stage competing in, in, in bodybuilding shows training people on one to one basis training people online talking on screen talking on video and all of a sudden out of nowhere boom smashed anxiety just unable to do the things I'm meant to do um, I've been doing the usual things that people look into journaling talking to people that I can trust getting out into nature the swims have been a huge help when I do get out I can really feel my mind clear yeah but there's days where it just catches you um, anybody that's experiencing this knows things to be going perfectly and then for some reason out of the blue it destroys you yeah it's just a day where you like don't want to talk to people you don't leave the house and being that I am a outwardly I suppose what you would consider the, the alpha male type it's it's in my personality to not want to seek help yeah. I'm not going to talk to people about it. I'm going to deal with it my damn self. 
Um, the reason I'm relating it to the drug that I was talking about, somebody that I watch, there's a, a biohacker, I won't go into on this because it's a whole deep channel for me to know talk. He had been reading some research about its use for being an anti-anxiety medication. Um, most times, if you go to the doctor with anxiety, they'll prescribe you something to bring you down, like a benzodiazepine. They're going to give you the Xanax. They're going yeah. to give you they're, something along those lines. Because from a, from a chemistry point of view in your body, when you're anxious, your central nervous system is too high. It's ramped up. You can feel it. You're jittery. It's like you've had too many coffees. So from a chemistry, pharmaceutical, medical point of view, all they want to do is bring your CNS down. Side effect of that is most of the drugs for anxiety cause depression because you've mm-hmm. gone from being higher than high, twitching, to now you're lower than low. And that's why when you go to a doctor, they tend to give you a... A Xanax accompanied by a Prozomel, which is a, a, an antidepressant, um, yeah, which is going to bring you back up bring a little you back bit, and level. Which I did not want. Obviously, I've been on and off performance-enhancing drugs for many years now. I I know for a fact I'm going to have to be on testosterone for the rest of my life because of being on and off. I'm in a position where I'm lucky that I've not been made infertile by the use of steroids. I don't have any children yet, but I have. Had the swimmers checked, I'm happy yeah. enough to know that that's good. But for me to have ideal health, I'm going to have to be on a TRT dosage of testosterone for the rest of my life. And that's not for sexual function. It's actually more for heart health, mental clarity, and ju- just a few cascade things that happen from having low T. I did not want to then go to the doctor, have a conversation about how I'm feeling, and then go, well, we're going to have to put you on this upsy-downy, flippy-floppy yeah. mix of drugs that are going to be bad for my liver, but they're going to cause suicidal ideation, and all kinds of stuff. What they would have probably said to you there was, you stop know, your steroids. stop your steroids, <laughs> look at your steroid usage throughout yeah. the years, have you had your blood work taken, have you had this, would you try this, you know, Which you don't I, want to be told that, because at the end of the day, you've done all the studies, it, it's not as if it happened to you a year into using steroids yeah. you know you're you're what 10 12 I'm years probably, into i'd be around so the 29 this year as, as old as i feel i'm getting it'd be close enough to nine years nearly 10 since i first experimented with something yeah so it's not like it's just so got out the experience. of the blue and it's just yeah. like oh this has happened to you because you've you've taken steroids no it's not it's it's something it's it's a build-up it's the way the world has gone as I discussed earlier with Craig, one of my main views on life is having freedom to do what you want to do with yourself yeah. and with the way the world has gone. And I suppose the, the initial start of this whole last 12 months of where people couldn't do what they want to do, I got cut off from my ability to train the way I want, cut off from my ability to interact with clients the way I want. And those few things paired with some relationship changes and things caused me to, to get into that anxious state that I've never felt in my whole life yeah the uncertainty of not knowing what to do and somebody else I suppose when somebody else is controlling the factors then as well that you essentially have no control over you yeah. know you can live your life you can go down you can break the 5k 10k whatever was. you can break that and you yeah. can do all those things I can do all those things but, but if somebody's but taking your livelihood away from you that you've been used to for the last 10-15 years that's a different ball game yeah you know, it's, it was it was insane and like as well at the time, like the first lockdown time, I was beginning into a business mastermind. Um, 
I won't talk about big details on that because there's a bit of a separation and jumping away from that. Yep. From some breakdown of the interaction with somebody in it. But I would never regret my time in it because I learned so much about running online business and how I can help other people do that as well. But during that first period of the 2K lockdown, we couldn't go anywhere. I easily put in 22 hours a day at a computer, which was awful. It was brilliant because all I would do would just work out ideas. I'd create landing pages for programs. I would create new programs. I created content templates. I did so many different things that was just me getting busy. Busy, mm. but not effective, not efficient. So I believe during that time, it's probably where I developed the anxiety because I had so much time with that blue light blasting me constantly. Yeah. Barely sleeping. Like I, I probably slept two or three hours a night. Just wasn't good for my body. This compound SR9009, I'm yet to fully give my opinion on if it's helped me too much with anxiety. I definitely think it has helped because from a chemistry point of view, they're not fully sure why it happened yet, but it has the same lowering effect as a benzo, but without the associated depression effect from it, I think because it re- it it regulates your circadian rhythm. Yeah, and and I suppose the like the benzos and 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 antidepressive medications they can become addictive as well. Oh, completely. Um, you know, you, you'll start to believe you need them. Yeah, like anything. Yeah, yeah, like anything. I need I need cigarettes. I need a cigarette. I need a cigarette. I need a cigarette. No, you, you don't. It's your mind telling you you need it. You know, yeah. once you control that and take control of it and ownership and back into your human state, you know, you can just cut you can off. get back control. Yeah, and like I suppose. One thing I should probably bring up regards mental health and things. It's the first time I've suffered with what I would consider anxiety. But one thing that a lot of people don't know, I think I spoke about it on another podcast, a, a, a bodybuilding podcast I was on a while ago, is that when I was a, I'd say late teens, I experienced body dysmorphia disorder and I went to a sports psychologist to fix the issue. I used to think that I was the smallest person in the world, pretty much. Mm. So I would wear layers and layers and layers of clothes to appear larger. Think Joey and Friends in that one episode. Yeah. was like, could I be wearing any more clothes? <laughs> um, so I, I had thought at the time when I had dealt with that, because I spent probably 18 months working with a wonderful woman, Donna De Willis, in Barcelona. Yeah. which was where I actually got to spend a bit of time living there because my father lives there. He hooked me up with her and we did therapy sessions to work through those issues in my mind and clarify to myself what I already knew, which is that I was like, I was a 70 kilo dude that was lifting. I was strong. I had muscle. I'm by no means the biggest man in the world, but I was not as tiny as I thought I was. Yeah. When I worked past that issue, I very stupidly thought, Mental health. Completed it, mate. Done. So I suppose 10 years on from that, because I did no work on my mental health, was when this took me over a bit. Yeah, I think that um, that does, or it is an area that people just sort of neglect, I suppose, in a way. And, and we're only becoming, especially in this generation, used to it in a, in a certain manner because we all look at our physical, we all look at what we eat, you know, when, when we're training. But we don't look at what we do up here and what keeps us ticking. Our heart keeps us ticking to keep the blood flowing. 
our brain keeps us ticking to keep the heart ticking. Yeah. You know, so if your brain's not fully functioning and fully working and you're not putting in the, the exercises and the effort, you know, you have to just take care of it. Like any other organ, like your body, like fucking anything. You know, read, journal, get out on your own, sit with yourself, talk to yourself. Do you know what I mean? These little, little things, these little niggles. Because once you start doing that, and I suppose the biggest thing uh, for me, and I, you could probably relate to this, is get yourself uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, 100%. Throw yourself into the sea. Throw yourself into an ice bath. It's, it's the Fucking best thing about those cold waters. Run a distance that you've never ran before. You know, just do it. And, and by doing that, you're telling your brain, you're building your brain, you're convincing yourself that you can actually do these things and you're rewarding yourself. Which actually, quickly to touch on the running, You'll be so proud of me. I didn't tell Craig this before the podcast. You're running. I've, I've been running the past couple of weeks. Yeah, how are you getting so, on? So I, I said a thing to Anna a couple of weeks ago. Anna, Anna, for people who don't know, is my better half. That uh, if I didn't hit a certain goal a couple of weeks ago, that if I didn't hit by the end of the Sunday, I'd have to go and do a 5K by the next week. Interesting. I had never ran a full K, 5K before. Yeah. Um. I knocked it out. I did it in 28 minutes. Just on, No, 27 something. Just under 28. I then said, right, well, if I don't achieve that goal by the following week, I'll have to do it again. And I didn't achieve the goal. So I had to do it. it again. And then I decided the following week, do you know what? I want to actually be able to run and be comfortable. So I set myself a little bit of a, a run program in my head where I said, right, this week, I'll do five 2K runs. Savage. Then the next week I'll do four two point five, yeah. and I'll build it up and I'll separate it out and I'll I use my my training knowledge for progressive overload and apply it to running and see where I go. It's the easiest way to do it. Constantly just build and grow and build. It's getting and grow easier, like yeah, it gets it's it's amazing once you put a, a plan in place and just watch that plan overtake us. Oh, like realistically, I've been running seven or eight months, um, and in that time I've went from a thirty minute five k up to. 19 minute 5k you know and then Which running tremendous now they know what it feels like to do a 5k <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> running half marathons and now aiming to run a marathon in the next uh, 8 weeks time so those those little goals lead to, to bigger things you know and it's like anything once you put the time and the effort in and the, what I find is that after talking to a friend of mine the other day it can also be a, a way for people to go out and meditate it's, especially 100%. if you don't have music with you you can just go out and it's just you and you and if you're uncomfortable with you with the current state, you just, have to face just it. fucking walk. Just either start walking or get out and run because it's the easiest way to fix those issues that's going on inside your head. Definitely I've, feel I've that I've heard way. it for years. People are like, oh, running is therapy. And I could never wrap my head around it because running was never my thing. Yeah. The only running I'd ever done had been sprints. Sprints or jogging to warm up in the brief bit of time I played rugby or warming up before MMA. I'd, I'd ran for the first time probably nine months ago. Mm. Um, just decided, right, fuck it. I listened to David Goggins' audiobook, and I don't think there's a soul in the world that listens to Can't Hurt Me that doesn't go for a run. <laughs> Did it for a couple of weeks, and then I was prepping to do a bodybuilding show that didn't happen. When you prep for a show, running is not ideal. No. Um, so I knocked it in the head, and it felt good to get back to it. So potentially I might I might run with Craig at some point. Yeah, Saturday mornings, tomorrow morning, eight o'clock, Portmanic Beach, down well, there. Uh, well we'll see what's happening. We yeah. might jump in. Yeah, of course, man, anytime. Um 
look, you've covered a lot of stuff on the podcast today and a lot of stuff, I suppose, that people will be able to relate to. So thank you very much for that. No worries. Thanks for having um, me on, dude. I have, obviously, at the end of every podcast, I have a couple of questions just to see where you're at. You know, cool. um, one of them, I suppose, is in your life or today, what's, um, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Best advice I've ever been given? He did tell me these were going to be deep, good questions that'll put me on the spot. Doesn't have to be anything too mad or anything, just something that may, may pop up. I suppose probably the best advice I can think of, and I can't remember who gave me the advice, but it was work towards doing something that makes you happy. Not just for business, not just for general life, just look for things that make you happy. And if something doesn't make you happy, find out why. And once you know why, then maybe leave it where it is. Brilliant. Yeah, that's 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 perfect. You know, any, I think anybody listening there would would relate to that. You know, well, um, I hope so. Yeah. So so do I. Really. Um. Uh, next question is: What are you most grateful for in your life? Right now, what I'm most grateful for, and I'm gonna sound like a cheese ball, is probably going to be two things: my health and my partner. Brilliant. Um, the past couple of months since dealing with my anxiety and these different bits and pieces Anna has been a, a ship in a busy sea so uh, it's been wonderful to have her there and the fact that I've got my health I mean what else does somebody need at a baseline other than knowing you can get out of bed go for a walk go for a swim and lay down at night healthy yeah that's that's all you need in, in, in life is literally somebody that is going to be there to, to listen and, and give you some small bits of advice that you can soak up and likewise back back to them too like you know so um, nice one uh, third question is what experience impacted you most in your life oh it's a it's a tough one um, dead silence this one needs contemplation because there's two in the head but I'm going to actually say my um, my experience with Enhanced Athlete because it was um, it was the whole meeting them first and then making a making a jump to move to an entirely different country where I went to Bulgaria where they spoke Russian and Bulgarian which although right now I'm actually learning Russian because the better half happens to be of that descent Yeah. back then I had no comprehension for being able to learn languages so I went to somewhere where nobody understood me. I understood nobody and dropped my career because obviously I've been a coach for 10 years. Um, that was one of the first times in my life that I said, nope, going to do no coaching. I'm going all in on being a distribution manager for a supplement company. Dropped my life, dropped my family, moved over. And the experience of being there and then unfortunately the company changing so much and breaking down and coming away from that and moving home and reintegrating into Irish life taught me quite a lot just about everyday life and what I appreciated. It sounds so so silly, but when I came home from Bulgaria, never had I ever appreciated Dublin Airport so much as when I walked through. <laughs> I must have looked like such... I must have looked like I was high. I was walking through just smiling at everything. And it's... Ireland is wonderful and I've I've plans to leave Ireland for various reasons. Yeah. 
Um, but for some reason, I developed such a love and a miss. I missed the country so much coming back. I've appreciated so much more. And I want nothing but good for the country. I got that experience made me patriotic. Brilliant. Yeah. That's, incredible time. That's brilliant, man. Um, and finally, what is the Enhanced Superman's kryptonite? What's my kryptonite? Well, I suppose right now it's my my bad days where anxiety gets me. Um, something that never crossed my mind previously because I could just dig in, do what I needed to do. Work-wise, training-wise, the past couple of months, it's been my own mind. So my, my only weakness is myself. Yeah, there you go. That's, so you have a quotable, quotable line. That is very quotable, and I think um, it, it sums up um, everybody, I suppose, because once you overcome your mind, I feel you can achieve anything. 100%. Yeah. Because so. one thing that I've thought for years is a lot of people try to think about what's the biggest fear. People have phobias, they have different things, and without trying to sound like I thought I was invincible and untouchable as much as somebody whose name is the enhanced superman people would assume i believe i'm untouchable for years if somebody said oh, what are you scared of nothing except rats for some reason i, I didn't like rats <laughs> i now have no issue with rats but now i don't know what i would describe as what the anxiety creates a fear of but it's like a it's a fear of what's going to happen when nothing has actually happened yeah it's a, and it's such a such a strange feeling and it sort of is like someone's handed me a kryptonite rock <laughs> and you're just so I've, I've lost my kryptonian superman powers gone brilliant ma absolute pleasure thanks very much lovely to have cheers. me on cheers nice one, brother.